Hey, welcome back to the Escalation 1985 podcast. I'm your host, Peter Bell. Joining me today is Lucas Param. Hello. And Kai Friend. Hello. So, um, in case any of the uh, viewers were wondering our names in the Discord, if you wanted to ask us any questions or just any kind of general banter uh, to us, uh, my username is sk85peterbell. Um, Mine is sk85kaiz. And I am Esk85 Fallout 2077. We've got a lot of questions today, uh, a lot from our Patreons. First one is from Theo, and he asks, "Can we expect World War One-like artillery shellings?" Um, this is kind of a difficult question to answer because we're talking about World War One versus World War Three here. I mean, completely two different, you know, two completely different time periods. Both obviously being in the 20th century, but. Through technological advancement, you can expect to, something to be different. And yeah, Lucas, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. Um, during the time period, uh, both sides had lots of artillery, various different types for different uses. But um, in the onset of the war, uh, the Soviets on the offensive would have cert- uh, pinpointed areas that they were going to hit, and they'd be hit with multiple different types of artillery, very, very intense artillery. At first, uh, from then on, each unit, uh, Soviet artillery was very well um, distributed between the units. Um, like, companies had mortars, battalions had, uh, you know, attachments. There was uh, tank ba- uh, artillery batteries and all that uh, uh, attached to smaller units and distributed so that each unit could have their own um, artillery to use. Um, the Soviets would be they were very heavy on artillery usage, um, but the the thing is, is that in a game that wouldn't be super fun to just nonstop be pelted with artillery, um, because I mean we wouldn't have World War One like artillery. We would have World War Three like artillery, which would be extremely intense, extremely deadly, and pretty much nonstop. And of course NATO had their artillery, and they'd be hitting the Soviets just as hard. Um, it's it's something that we have to balance properly so that it's it's still fun but it adds a threat um you know so i mean yes i guess you could say there would be world war one style artillery shellings with you know very intense short barrages that would be very uh, effective but there won't be like a non-stop artillery yeah and definitely more accurate than it was back in world war one because it was just kind of yes, like them yes. lobbing artillery over the line and hoping that they get a couple kills here and there. Uh, next question comes from Brass, who asks, How will missile strikes work? Will there be kill streaks, or do you call it in from a FOB? Actually, um, obviously there's a lot of testing we have to go through to get a final result as to what we want to do with missile strikes, but um, I have personally experimented with the uh, Commander Computer, which essentially is a um, interface where you can call in artillery, um, fast cam mines, um, JDAM missiles, um, Tomahawk cruise missiles, and you basically select a point on the map and you can call them in and see a live uh, feed of where the missile is on the map heading towards its target. And um, how this will be implemented into the game is totally up to testing. I mean, I think as of now we're excluding the possibility of there being a kill streak option because 
obviously an individual is not going to be able to call in a artillery strike or any strike like that it would have to be from a commander or you know the sergeant marks the target or like a, a squad leader uh selects a target and the commander will have to choose where to call in that strike so and obviously you know the um uh, radio telephone operator will have to be there with whoever calls in the strike so um it will most likely be that whichever team has a certain amount of points from capturing objectives or perhaps getting kills as well will be able to get the upper hand by calling in these strikes so um it's definitely up to testing and we'll have more information on that at a later time um yeah there's like some preconditions yeah. that might be uh required to to be able to do something that powerful instead of like uh kill streaks it'll basically be you'll be rewarded based on your success for the most part yeah the overall team it won't just be individuals like call of duty you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i remember in battlefront uh, battlefield 2 where you could uh walk up to like a briefcase and then you could basically wipe people off the map um was it was fun but it wasn't as as interesting as me uh, of a mechanic as uh, having someone mark a target, then uh, running to your radio guy and calling it in. Next question. Next question. <laughs> Next question comes from Robert Burke, who asks, Now that Postscriptum is an alpha and under the public spotlight, have you guys talked to their devs? Would you say certain gameplay mechanics are similar to what you guys are aiming for? Not implying you guys are copying each other, each other's direction or anything. Um, yeah, uh, Kai, you want to kind of elaborate on this a little bit? Um, yeah, sure. We um, haven't had contact with uh, the, the makers of Squad and uh, uh, guys who uh, work with uh, Postscriptum ever since we went uh, standalone. We started out as a mod uh, for Squad and then, uh, you know, we decided we would have a bit more freedom of uh, tackling things in our way if we went standalone. Um, but ever since we haven't uh, uh, been in touch, um, I actually haven't played Postscriptum. I do like uh, that it's in uh, uh, the Netherlands and the setting and everything. It looks really good. Uh, at least I might be confusing it with another game though. But um, I don't think we're actually going to do like the exact gameplay mechanics aside from you're able to shoot guns and, and walk in uh, forests. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Game, the, gameplay wise, will definitely definitely be able to. Tell yeah, the, the, there will the, be similarities, <laughs> of course, since it's kind of like in the same genre, but uh, way different time period, way different uh, uh, mechanics from from what I understand. Um, so now we haven't talked to to those guys. Stuff. Yeah. Um, next question comes from the same Robert Burke, who asks also. Can we expect the way that teams are organized being based off of some form of real-life command structure? As as in, um, you know, if you're in the United States, you know, are you going to be playing as 4th Infantry Division, 3rd Grade Charlie Company, 2nd Platoon with elements of 1st Armor Division as armor support? Um, yeah, Luke, you wanna, Lucas, you want to um, kind of elaborate on this one, this question a little bit? Um, we'll be using the, you know, generic you know, structure, the, the, the generic order of battle, the table of operations, um, whatever the, I can't remember what the official term is, but, um, we'll be using that, um, pretty much the entire, each military had their own specific, um, you know, layout, like, um, for the Soviets, you know, platoon would be three BMPs or BTRs and squads, company would be 
three platoons plus a commander, so 10 vehicles total, etc. They all followed that same thing. Um, and we'll, we'll go for that generic um, layout. So, you know, American companies will be different from Soviet companies will be different from uh, German companies or however each nation was structured at the time. But to be super specific, like for saying, you know, um, that it's, you know, second platoon of Charlie Company of third brigade, etc. I mean, I don't, we're not going to be that detailed. Um, I mean, not much would change, but it's just easier to follow the generic, um, you know, official um, way that it was supposed to be structured, the, the official structure, because it, it allows us to duplicate it easier and have, you know, all the units follow that. Um, but I mean, it'll be accurate structure it just i mean we won't go into super detail um i mean i i believe that we're going to have them you know set as certain you know divisions but to be down to you know platoon level i i don't think we'll be able to do that but you know not much would change anyways if anything yeah I mean, don't expect a, you know, a, heart, a Hearts of Iron type, you know, organization level of what kind of militaries you can have. Because, I mean, you're, you're, we're playing a first-person shooter, and it's not going to be overwhelmingly complicated with, you know, who, but, who you fight as. But while also giving you a good representation of how, you know, the you know combat in this situation would have been. Yeah, but I mean, it won't be like, you know, inaccurate where we'll have like 20 guys in a squad or something. I mean, the, there'll be the right amount of people in the right amount of units. Um, the mm -hmm. units just won't be like, you know, for example, super detailed, like, you know, Alpha Squad, 2nd Platoon, Charlie Company, etc. like that. It won't be that detailed, but, you know, the units will be correct. Yeah. Okay, now we can kind of talk about the recruitment stuff. Um, if you or if if, if that's all you guys want to talk about about that, I, I don't I don't have anything else to talk about. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think of other stuff on topic. I mean, 80s wise, I've got a few things. I uh, yeah yeah, I, and, I found an old 80s uh, stereo system, and I got I saw that video up. on Facebook. That oh was man, I'm awesome. so happy. Oh, the, that fact, was so the, cool. the cassette's not working, but I ha I found a replacement already. But someone it it turns on. But it doesn't spin. Someone mentioned it was probably the belt inside. So I'm yeah. mess with that. I, I actually like. I've gotten very like the belt replacement on um, cassette players is like my thing now. Oh, nice. Because yeah. at first I bought my first like boombox and the belt was like worn out and I was like, oh, this is oh, the most yeah. complicated thing ever. It's pretty easy though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but stuff like then, uh, you know, you didn't have like uh, circuit boards and microchips. You kind of had, but it was all like those big capsule thingies. Instead of yeah. uh, chips uh, uh, cast in resin or something, um, so it's relatively easy and it's super fulfilling to take it apart, put it back together, and have it work. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, oh, I found a press kit for one of my favorite records, so that's cool. Nice. nice oh, well, what's uh, what's the record? It's uh, a West German record from eight, eight, 1985, uh, Zeresen Foto, which is torn photo in German. Um, yeah. It's by a band called Very Ink. They they were kind of obscure. Uh, I've liked them for a while. They're pretty cool. I have uh, all their stuff downloaded, cassettes and stuff. They they were active in West uh, West Germany and they did some stuff in West Berlin. Ah, very cool. How do you download cassettes? Do you like three D print them? There's or? this website. There's this website that has oh, well, they're digital files. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I own a few cassettes, but um, there's this one website that I use 
like religiously. <laughs> it's called Tape Attack, and it, it's actually a blog. Uh, and this, it's a German dude, and he just uploads full cassettes that you can download for free, no problem. Um, just various cassettes, some West German, some East German, most of them are West German. There are also a few others that aren't German, like a few Dutch ones every now and then, but uh, random stuff. Most of it's like, well, I mean, all of it's obscure, you know, unknown stuff, um, underground stuff, uh, rock, punk, you, you name it. It's yeah, yeah, all yeah. over the place. It's great, though. But there's no samples, so you just kind of have to download it and then listen to it. And if you like it, keep it, delete it if you don't like it. But it's kind of like a, a little bit of a, it's like... Um, what would you call it? A surprise. You don't know what you're going to hear. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind, kind cool. of like the real thing. You, you know, in the past, you would go to a yeah. uh, so, so music I do, store. I do what, yeah, exactly what you do in a music store. I did with that. You just look at the cover. Whichever ones look special, you know, Yeah, you pick it, it up and go for a listen. And... Yeah. yeah, but I, I found... actually have it. Yeah. Go ahead. I oh, know. Uh, last, last night, a couple of my friends come over after I get off of work, and they, they, just, they were just at my house, and they have a Super 8 projector. Like a, wow. or like from like the probably late seventies, I'd say. Wow. And they're like, we got some, we got some reels, and I was like, oh, cool. What do you have? It's like, oh, we got Dick Tracy, and then we got a couple pornos. <laughs> <laughs> so we hook it up, and then we're just like watching porn, like vintage porn. Vintage porn. Or, or on my wall, I put, I get like a bed sheet with curtains open. It was like the most bizarre, like, because like I didn't expect. I was like, "This is the coolest shit I've ever seen in my life." I think it's safe to say things got hairy. Oh, things! things <laughs> oh, things got hairy. It was, it was not a pretty sight. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh man. There's this creepy dude who lives in my town. Um, do you remember hearing about the Charlottesville riot where the girl died on the news? Maybe. I think it was so. Like, yeah, it's how, like relatively recent or how long has this been? This was like last August. A girl was hit by like a uh, uh, white supremacist and she got yeah, killed. Yeah, I remember that. I do. Yeah. Okay. He, his you. shop is literally right next to where the girl was hit and where everything was. And yeah, we went where they, they went down there. I go there all the time. He was selling a full East German like um, a border guard officer's uniform, like hat. Ooh trousers even how, the medals were on the it was like 80 bucks and i was like oh my, oh my god, god really yes i was like are you serious and i didn't buy it because it was literally before i started getting into reenacting it was oh, like it's right been the a while time. i got you yeah it, this was I thought like, you meant, like recently year. okay yeah no that's and, and i mean it's it was pretty now, recent sure. it was like the it was like late 2017 but like yeah, yeah, yeah someone bought it really quickly yeah i'm sure and i ended up getting a fucking buying a fucking um like West German Bundeswehr jacket. What's the camo called? The one they use now? Uh, Flecktarn. Yeah, Flecktarn. I ended up getting one of those jackets, and I'm pissed that I didn't get the. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, you, was... you are you. Uh, such a beginner. <laughs> you I, think the, on, uh, I think the only other beginner camo is Woodland. Yeah, like that's I, 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 everyone starts out with a pair of BDUs. Yeah. You know, it worked out for me because I got into. I started. I originally wanted to do World War II, and I had a few World War II items, but I, I pretty much was buying anything military in my younger years. Um, yeah. And, and so I started getting interested in 80s, and I just go through my gear, and I'm like, holy shit, I've already got BDUs, I've got an M1 helmet, and I've got Alice gear. Dude, I've already got an 80s impression. What the hell? This is awesome. <laughs> I wish I could have done that with Soviet. No, Soviet's yeah. been a real pain in the ass. Did you guys uh, check out Katawiki as well? Uh, what is it? Kat Katawiki. Um, not sure how to pronounce it. I can type it though. 
um, get a wiki. It's like an auctioning site where um, oh, it, it's I think I have heard of that. Yeah, and you can actually uh, let's say you you see something cool, but you're not willing to spend more than 100 bucks or something, then you can set that as your max. And if uh, people stop bidding at like 70, you get it for 70. Oh my god. Hmm. I've, I, I know I've heard of this before, but... I've never heard of it, but I just went to it. This is interesting. Yeah, it's military and antique weapons. You know what? Here's something I'm going to tell you. I don't know, uh, Kai, how much this will... Uh, how much you'll care about this, but... Peter, the, you might be interested. Etsy. Yes. So I, you've heard of Etsy. Yes. You know Etsy, I'm sure. Oh, I know but Etsy. But I had always thought it was just this, like, hipster place where you go to buy, like, crafts That's and shit. That's literally like, exactly yeah. what I thought it was. <laughs> Dude... People, it, it, stuff just has to be, it's either, it eats, oh my god, I can't talk. It either has to be handmade, you know, like a craft, or it has to be vintage. I think at least 25 years old. That's where I found so much stuff. I bought my East German cigarettes there. I bought a Polish military blanket there. Polish military blankets are, they're so hard to get now. They were everywhere, and now they're nowhere because they were so popular on the surplus market. So when I wanted one for collecting, gone. Oh, but yeah, anyways, there's tons of uh, vintage stuff on there, yeah. But they have civilian stuff too. Like, what I'm going to do is I'm uh, the Soviet military ID. It's, it's called a military ticket. I'm getting, I'm going to get one of those. There's a guy who sells them blank and he fills them out. He served in the Soviet army himself. He fills them out. He has the proper stamps and everything. But the photos that you put in there, you don't wear your uniform. You wear civilian clothes, right? So I'm going to get my photo. Well, I could just put on a button-up shirt. But you already know I'm insane. So you know oh, I'm not yes. going to do oh, that. Yes. No. On Etsy, they sell Soviet vintage clothing. So I'm gonna buy a Soviet shirt, and I'm gonna buy a Soviet pants and a tie and and a belt, and it's all gonna be authentic <laughs> from the 70s or 80s, and I'm gonna wear it for a picture that's only gonna show about my collar up. So you're not even gonna see it, and no one will know it's Soviet except for me, but I'll know. I'll look at that photo and I'll say, you know what? No one else knows that I was insane enough to buy a 1978 shirt, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. did, but, um, did you see they had a they had a VDV um a gymnast uh g gymnastica is that a is that the, the right pronunciation the it's the it's like the shirt the um like the Tanyashka? VDV very yeah or yeah that's the what striped I mean. one no it's the uh it's like the the, the whatever the ones the, whatever VDV wore in Europe like the the shirt the M69 or M73 over 73 was it M69 I think it was M69 well here's the thing there's there's a few it wasn't camouflage right no it was it just wasn't the TTSK like, there no, there no. was there was I think what you're thinking of is the World War II uniform which is the it has like the collar that buttons up your neck yes with the two buttons that was what they used before the uh over 70 uh, over 69 and over 73 uniforms uh, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. It's what they used in World War II. Uh, it was the M43, and then they changed it to the M51. It, they changed it a lot throughout the 50s and 60s. Yeah. But I know which one you're talking about. I can't pronounce it, um, so I'm not going to try. I don't want to look like an idiot like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I can't pronounce that one. Um, <laughs> but I know exactly what you're talking about. The German Schenke, something, something, the, it's, something it's, like uh, that. Here, I'm going to actually... It's It's... Jim Niles, that's the plaque. Can you type it? That's what, that's what we're gonna call it. If, it, uh, if it's European, I might be able to pronounce it. Yeah. But yeah. Soviet World War One. The World Etsy War. stuff is pretty good, though. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also where I bought my uh, Soviet 80s toothpaste. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> 
It, oh, it's also where I bought my East German 80s toilet paper. Now, I know what you're thinking before you judge me too hard. Why the hell did you buy East German toilet paper? The answer is, first of all, communism. <laughs> Communist toilet paper, how many people have that? I'm pretty, I'm pretty up there, okay? I'm just saying, I'm pretty cool. It's <laughs> even, it's even, got, go the, it's even got the state market on it, the VEB, which is the everything made in East Germany approved by the state has that mark. So it's, it's fully communist approved. Okay. Ah, it's also as hard as it's also as hard as sandpaper, so I would not want to wipe my ass with that. Uh, thank uh, you. Unless you're like really crushed yeah. it up or something. <laughs> but um, the reason I bought it was because uh, an East German soldier had made a remark. He's like, a lot of guys would take toilet paper rolls into the field and shove them in their pack, and that's something you never think about. Like I never think about that. I just get the stuff off the kit list. But yeah, it'd probably be useful to have toilet paper to wipe your ass when you're in the field. I could see why soldiers would want that. Yeah, I get yeah, it now. Absolutely. I yeah. just always. Yeah, so I bought it, uh, but he was only selling them in packs of three, so I have three rolls. And did you, did you uh, I don't know it? what the I mean. For. Is... No, no, <laughs> I, I can't bring myself to. Uh, uh, I, I care about my asshole. I really do. You need to come to a living history museum, like dude. If you I, had I have all this stuff. I have, yeah. I I will give you. Okay, so here's one of my collecting sins for East German. I will give you my toothpaste is actually from 1968 because I cannot find 80s East German toothpaste for the life of me. So yes, a soldier in 1983 wouldn't be using toothpaste from 1968, but 1968 East German-made toothpaste is a lot more accurate than 2018 German-made toothpaste. So yes. I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit. But I'll yeah. tell you, the moment I see East German toothpaste for sale, I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually bought all of that in a giant lot. Some dude, he was in, it was on German eBay, and he sold it really cheap. And he was like, I'm honestly surprised anyone bought this. I was like, well, you, you now know how crazy I am. But it actually came with a bunch of stuff. It came with hand cream, moisturizer, foot uh, uh, foot bath powder that you pour into water to, and then soak your feet in. It uh, came with um, face cream. It, it was mostly stuff like that. And then there was a few tubes of toothpaste. And um, uh, there was a few interesting things, really. But it was all a lot that he had found in his store that his grandfather owned before him. So it was all like overstock from East German uh, era that just pristine. got put in a box and just, yeah, no, it's all pristine. Yeah, like usually you see the, I've seen the, um, it's a really famous East German brand. Um, and you see the tins all the time because they've kind of become collectible, but they're always empty. Mine are full. I opened one, it's completely moldy. So I sealed it back up, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But um, yeah, and actually, it had some stuff from 1933. Two two of the the foot bath things were really old. They were marked 1933, wow. and so they're from the the you know Nazi era even. Uh, and then it had some wow. some soap which was in Spanish, but it used the peso. And I I would assume, and I looked up the brand, and I couldn't find anything about it. I'm gonna have to assume Cuban, because Cuba was a communist nation at that time, and they would be doing trade with East Germany. So it makes sense that maybe Cuban soap would be in East Germany. But like, because Cuba uses the peso as well, because I thought at first it might be, you know, Mexican, because it uses the peso, so it's not Spanish, mm -hmm. like from Spain, but it is Spanish language. Yeah. But I think Cuba's the most accurate, because like I said, it was communist at the time, so they'd be more likely to be trading with East Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, I think half a year in, from when I joined uh, Escalation, uh, this is gonna be super random, but, um, I got a, a call from our uh, uh, accountant and he mentioned that he had an old duffel bag uh, lying around and uh, he knew uh, that I was on uh, an escalation. 
uh, and he was like, well, maybe maybe you want it. Uh, all you have to do is pick it up. So I went there, um, browsed through it, and there was like the uh, soldier's handbook uh, from the Dutch army. Uh, what year? What year? 1985. Oh man, is it a full duffel bag with all the equipment? Uh, a lot of equipment, but some of it was older as well, like the the poncho, the rubberized fabric uh, poncho, which actually huh. it went in my uh, uh, in my kit uh, duffel bag for uh, bed times because yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was a solid thing. Um, but there were I... there also was a uh, some instruction cards on regarding uh, you know how to. Uh, find out if someone is uh, for, uh, either uh, working for for the KGB and stuff like that. But also um, a cap, which I wear a lot, and the cap has the same date in there, like 1985. M78 cap, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a very comfortable cap, actually. Yeah. And you can I, I'm on. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Yeah, you can throw it in, yeah. the, in the washing machine and, uh, and whatnot, and uh, it'll uh, survive gloriously. All military awesome. surplus is strong. Yeah. Except I, I, I usually, yeah, with like my Soviet uniforms, I only let them marry dry. I, I put them in the washing machine on, I put cold, I put the cold water on and then I just like hang them up to dry. Yeah, like the wool yeah. program or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I just paid a lot of money to have a package shipped from your country to mine. Okay. Guy. What, sorry. <laughs> what, what's in there? Yeah, I, that, uh, those people are expensive. Uh, it, it was like 120 bucks. And the package was like 20, 20 kilograms or kilo whatever's you, you yeah Dutch. kilograms. I said it, and then all of a sudden I felt like that was wrong. And anyways, um, uh, just it's just full of Dutch militaria, and I still have like two more of them sitting there waiting to be sent. Awesome. Um, but this one had full set of marine webbing, um, Air Force helmet, Air Force uniforms, all oh, nice. 80s, of course. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm getting every last detail. And by the way, I don't know. I think I mentioned this last show, but podcast, but maybe not. The Dutch military has become the largest part of my collection. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it, it has. Uh, I found this guy. He's, he's been a friend for a long time, a fellow collector. But um, I, he does Dutch 80s. Um, and I messaged him I was like hey could you help me get a few things and it's been I think over a year now and he's just been getting me stuff and then waiting until the box gets really full and then sending it over and it's I mean awesome. I don't know I mean while I can get it I might as well get it and I, I yeah I paid a lot to get one of those duffel bags bought and then uh, shipped over and to hear that you just got one for free this <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and there were some uh, some funky things in there as well like uh uh, gloves where you have the trigger finger separate uh -huh. um, and the the ones uh, we got since I was uh, in the army from I think around 2002 to 2004 something well I, a bit earlier I went in uh, 2001 I think um, we had just leather uh, gloves um, without that, that detachable trigger finger uh, or, or even with uh, connected fingers, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. So it was really cool to get some of the older stuff. And um, yeah, I have to go through it actually, because uh, there might be some interesting things that uh, I could send you at some point. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back soon, so stay tuned for the second half of the podcast. We'll be back.
So uh, Kai, tell us about what you do for Escalation 1985. Um, I'm the uh, technical material artist. I basically make all the shaders and materials uh, for the game. And um, yeah, we're doing it uh, mostly with uh, Substance Designer uh, and a bit with Substance Painter from uh, Allegrythmic. And um, we're using a plugin in Unreal to make sure that uh, we can import those files and have them be resolution independent. Meaning that um, in the future, if you want to play the game uh, like in, in 10 years or something, you would probably be able to uh, adjust the setting and the textures will generate at like four times original resolution or even higher, uh, which is really cool. But it also comes with uh, another set of benefits and that's um, you can make like in infinite variations uh, inside the engine, so in, in game actually. So we were talking uh, earlier about um, when you respawn, you might have, uh, you spawn with the same weapon, but it might look different because it's uh, not the, in real life, it, you would not respawn, but you would also never have the same weapon if you swapped it. Um, so we can have like scratches in different positions, uh, different levels of wear and tear, dirt and stuff on there. So it'll feel like you're um, holding a different weapon than you were in a previous game, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be visible differences uh, for those who, uh, who look for them. Um, but it's also really cool, like if the, when the game uh, progresses, uh, we can increase values for um, scratches, stuff like that. So let's say uh, there's a game at the start of the uh, uh, World War and a game uh, where it's uh, nearing to its uh, climax. Um, we could, uh, not, not sure if we're going to do it this way, but the tech is there to uh, make stuff look more worn uh, over time. And uh, one thing that we are uh, going to use it is in uh, uh, terrain and environment materials uh, for weather. So a lot of games have, uh, you know, when it rains, stuff gets shiny uh, and that makes it look wet. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're doing that as well. Um, there's a lot of games who have puddles as well. Uh, we do that too, but we're doing it based on the uh, actual depth of the uh, material. So puddles will form up from uh, um, lower parts of the material they would rise slowly and uh, whilst it's raining you would see raindrops and everything inside the puddles. Um, you would still have depth inside the puddles as well when you look around it and once it stops raining uh, things uh, slowly turn back to, to dry and um, uh, like over time you could even see the puddles uh, lowering again. Wow. Um, so that's uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to uh, like all the all the puzzles. Uh, sorry, the puzzle pieces are there, but they're not. Uh, not all of them are hooked up yet. So once we have that in place, uh, we'll get that out to uh, the Patreons and later on to the rest of the community. So uh, yeah, those are the things I kind of uh, meddle with. Um, and it's that's uh, it's a uh, it's an awesome uh, thing to do to be able to do actually. Like the guys, uh, Ferry and Badger. And uh, uh, Leon, uh, Radu, they're all uh, amazing uh, 3D artists. And uh, this, you know, in in graphics design, it's, it, there's like this mantra: crap in is crap out. So the more, higher the quality of uh, what you're beginning with, uh, the higher the output quality will be as well. So uh, yeah, that's uh, for me. That's like <laughs> very good thing. Okay, cool. I have a full lot. Um, from 83. Oh, nice. Uh, that's, my, that's my birth year, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. 1983 yeah, is like yeah. my favorite year, so. Mine as well. Right. 
Yeah. I, um... But yeah, I got the lot. I found out his name, his his unit, everything. I did all the research. It's pretty cool. But um, and then I got another one here in the United States. Totally out of total luck. Okay, so uh, it was just a random lot on eBay, right? Yeah. It was a Dutch uniform. It was the summer M78 uniform and pants, but it also had the full underwear set underneath. And oh, it's nice. like usually, yeah, usually I wouldn't have thought much of it, so I bought it. You know, that was cool because the Dutch underwear is not usually sold, um, you know, and it was all 80s dated. Is it the long underwear? Yeah, the, the winter type. But yeah, he yeah, also yeah. ended up selling me the summer type. But um, I bought it. But the thing is, is what rang in my head is, first of all, the trousers are really rare. You always find the shirts for sale, but the trousers you don't see for sale very often here in the United States or yeah. even on eBay. It's always the, Dutch the, sources. Yeah, Dutch people keep them because uh, uh, they're comfy and they use them as work pants. Yeah. Um, and then also, you never see a set. Like, you know, when surplus dealers, they, they break everything apart. They don't sell, like, full sets with underwear and stuff. And then I, 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 when I checked my PayPal after I paid him, I saw his name, and it was Van de Rie. And I was like, well, that's a Dutch name. Yeah. And, I, and I went ahead and I messaged him. I was like, this wouldn't by chance be your uniform, right? He was like, yeah, it was mine uh, from when I served in the Dutch Army back in 1985. Whoa. I was like, huh. wow. So I, okay. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I was like, can I ask you some stuff? He was like, yeah. So I asked him a few questions, and I was like, I, I wish it would be cool if you still had your stuff. He's like, oh, I do. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. So, so I bought it. I bought his full duffel bag, his dress uniform, everything else. But on top of that, he wasn't just like a normal private. He was a lieutenant. Oh, nice. He served Ooh. in a territorial, uh, def- uh, territorial, uh, not bata- company, a territorial defense company. He wasn't uh, in Germany or anything. He was one of the units that um, uh, basically patrolled uh, and guarded certain areas. Most of them were mobili- mobilization only, so they were unmanned during peacetime, but yeah. his unit was full, um, and he was one of the platoon commanders of the company, so he was one of three platoon commanders in that unit uh, near the Hague. I know I pronounced that wrong probably, oh, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, but it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, he guard... I, I want to say uh, the army headquarters in that area? His yeah, unit yeah, patrolled uh, there? The, the ministries and everything are uh, there as well. Yeah. Um, and he, he actually used live ammo when they did patrols. He, so he was one of the few Dutch army units to work with live ammo every day. Okay. Wow. At that time, because most of the time they didn't have, they would keep live ammo stored up. Um, but yeah, it has all this stuff. I got to ask him a bunch of questions, all these little details. It had almost everything. It just, and and I got it here. He's living in Texas. Cool (laughs) dude. Um, (laughs) did you visit him? No, I I live in Missouri, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it'd be cool. Um, but yeah, I uh, I just thought that was like out of all places, you know. And it was yeah. at the time when I was buying all this Dutch stuff overseas, uh, over in the Netherlands, you know. And then to ha- happen to just randomly find a full lot here in the United States. That was that was great. I love getting full lots. Yeah, yeah. That's I like a rare. Imagine, yeah. That's a, that's an amazing experience to have. Yeah, so yeah. Rare. Especially after like uh, uh, thirty close to uh, forty years. Yeah. yeah, and he was also a lieutenant, which I thought was cool. So I've got a full lot from '83 from a private, and a full lot from '85 from a lieutenant. That's really cool. Yeah, my my body armor. I have a I have a set of six B three body armor, and then a six B five. I had a six B five, but they both had names on the inside, like uh, Russian last names and in, in, uh, in Cyrillic. 
and it just kind of like I really wanted to look it up and find the guy who originally owned it and see what happened to him. Yeah, because actually my six B five had a little bit of blood on it, so I was like, oh, did, yeah. he, did someone did someone die in this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd it'd be cool if Russian uh, if it was easy to search stuff like that. I've got a lot of names on my stuff. Um, what Soviets like to do is they like to bleach their name in on the inside of the uniform. Yeah. Um, you, you can never find them, though. You can never... And they didn't... You know, because the Soviets didn't have, like, unit patches or anything. I mean, most... Uh, like, the Dutch didn't use unit patches, but they always had their, like, uh, units written on a piece of paper in the tag of the duffel bag, or they'd write it down on various parts of their stuff. Like, um, you know, so you can, you can kind of find it. Um, but, like, with the Soviet... Like, I mean, just a random last name, you're never going to find anything. You don't know what unit he was in. You don't know what years he served. All you know is a name, and looking that up, you'll find nothing. Yeah, plus so. it's a big place as well. Uh, how many people yeah, live yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. But it would be it'd be really cool to be able to track stuff like that down. Um, I mean, the same even applies to U.S. I mean, a lot of times you get a, a unit patch and then the last name, uh, and that's I mean that's not necessarily easy to track down someone like that. So yeah, I wonder if uh, uh, Drex uh, Yon or uh, LD has. Uh, some of his stuff left still. He, he does. Uh, yeah, I've he, talked to him oh, about awesome. it, yeah. because yeah, he served yeah. in the 80s. Uh, uh, he's, he's, right now he's designing uh, the Bergen owner level uh, with, the, uh, with the, the other level designers. And because yeah. um, he's actually been there like a couple of, he's been there more than me. I've been there like uh, once or twice, I think. And it's really nice to see how it all matches up and uh, have that like intimate knowledge of, uh, of the terrain there. Yeah, you should, uh, you should give him an ask to see if you can buy his old uniform. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think he's selling it. I think he's going to save it for his sons. I think is what he's planning on doing. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I I've bugged him uh, plenty, asking him very random, obscure questions that there's no way he'd remember, but it's worth. <laughs> <a try. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, he's a nice guy. He'll probably. Uh... Yeah, he's he's really cool. He's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember when. Uh... One time at Bergen-Hohne, we were doing uh, uh, recon drills at night, and um, somehow someone got the idea to, uh, um, you know, help us uh, see stuff a bit more clearly. It was uh, the middle of the night, no moon, and um, they decided to to shoot an artillery flare, like one of the, one of those big magnesium things uh, on a oh, tiny yeah. parachute. And uh, typically they, they just drift by and uh, light up the place. It's like a continuous uh, continuous flash from a uh, from a camera, uh, but then for like ten minutes or so. So we were in the middle of the woods, uh, you know, pretty close to each other, and suddenly uh, there's like a huge. No, it's almost like the sun, but but blue. So um, all we could see was our shadows, which are super hard compared to how bright that that flare thing was. And the flare, I'm not, I'm not sure what speed it's moving at, but it's going through the sky pretty fast. And it's causing yeah. all the shadows to rotate uh, very, very fast, actually. So um, for us, it was like the world turned sideways in an instant. So I think we were with um, 12 guys or so, 12, maybe six. And uh, we all just went flat on our face, uh, being disoriented. It didn't help at all <laughs> what they were trying to do. <laughs> it was so bizarre. It's, it, it, it's literally like, the world went sideways. Um, very, very weird. You, you, you rode in like APCs as well, right? During your, uh, you had um, to. Have been yeah, yeah, a couple of times, couple of times. Uh, I was in. Uh, Someone had mentioned um, that when you get out after being in it for a long time, when it opens up, it's kind of blinding. Is that? Um, 
Do you ever experience that? I never had any problems with it, to be honest. Um, uh, but yeah, in there you have either a, a small red light or uh, they're driving with the hatch open uh, uh, if it's uh, in between drills. So you'll have natural light in there. Um, I'm sure it's pretty dark and damp in there, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it, you know, um, yeah, I would say that like the, one of the first things uh, they learned us uh, at basic training was uh, uh, sleeping. <laughs> like if you have to, every moment that you can sleep, you sleep because you'll never know how long you'll be up next. So um, if we were uh, like uh, put in the back of the of the truck. Um, going like in, uh, on a 10 minute drive to uh, the shooting range. Um, everyone was sleeping in the truck, it was natural. And, and uh, after a while, it's uh, like second nature. So when one, uh, we were actually, uh, you know, every time you can go into a, a, attract uh, our uh, APC, then uh, we were looking forward to it because you sleep so nice in those things. It's like flying in a boat, because uh, it, it, with the tracks uh, on the terrain, it's kind of wavy. So uh, that was actually very nice. But it takes you years to get rid of that insta-sleep thing. Uh, I remember when I just met my, uh, my girlfriend, uh, currently my wife, and um, she lives like, I think 700 meters from the store, but we would go there by car sometimes to uh, you know, get groceries for the entire week. Um, so in that two minute drive, you know, I would sit in the car, fall asleep, and when we were there, I would wake up and, and hop out. And she was like amazed at how that was even possible. <laughs> very yeah. Uh, yeah, very bizarre. But um, yeah, it took me uh, it took me a while, but uh, I still do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That's very interesting, actually. Yeah, it's also useful though if you're bored. Uh, <laughs> just yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's less than uh, than uh, uh, when I just got out of the army. Um, it takes a it takes a well to me it felt like a long while, but uh, you know it's it's been. 13, maybe 14 years since uh, I was in the army. Uh, so, oh, so you're kind of early 2000s or mid yeah, 2000s? Yeah, I think, I think uh, 2003 yeah. uh, or five I went out. I totally, uh, sorry, total amount uh, I served was uh, just under three and a half years. Okay. Um, I was uh, in base training in uh, the Netherlands and uh, came up as an, uh, uh, sorry, came up, this is probably the wrong term. I started out as an infantryist and then later uh, did some uh, instructions for uh, uh, telecommunication, and then uh, I was uh, in uh, uh, st uh, yeah staff or an artillery battery. Did you you said you joined in two thousand one or was it two thousand two? Um, I think it's the end of two thousand one uh, or start of two thousand two. Um, it's it's a bit of a gray area because it's been uh, quite a while ago. Yeah, was it like um, why did you join? Just because? Um, well, isn't there a mandatory conscription? No, no, not anymore. Uh, when you turn 18, you get a letter that um, you might be conscripted, conscripted if uh, shit hits the fan. Um, yeah. But um, everybody gets that letter. But it did uh, pique my interest, and you know, um, I, I've grown up without uh, uh, my father around, but um, I knew he was a uh, marine for uh, uh, the biggest part of his life. So to me, it kind of felt natural to do something like that as well. Um, it never occurred to me to join the Marines, but I was probably delighted anyway. Um, but um, yeah, as a, as, even as a kid, um, you know, if uh, my, my neighbor or someone was uh, tying my shoelaces, like when I was five, six, I told them to do uh, the military tight, you know, like, uh, yeah. like you do your boots. So yeah. um, it, it's kind of second nature, I suppose, uh, 
from from then on. Um, and yeah, you, you know, the idealistic view of uh, um, trying to make a difference and uh, fighting against injustice and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get disillusioned uh, eventually. But um, those were my main drives and I was like super fanatic as well back then. So um, yeah, it was a natural fit basically. And where I did you serve? I know you said you had been to Germany, you went to Bergenholm. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I was stationed in Germany in uh, Seedorf. And um, uh, when there, uh, I got uh, the choice between going to uh, Bosnia for half a year and um, mainly peacekeeping, like uh, being, being there, being seen and uh, um, uh, keeping uh, people uh, uh, well from fighting, basically. Keeping everything in order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or uh, go to Iraq uh, as a... Uh, 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 driver slash uh, uh, infantryman, and that was uh, going to be for three months. Eventually, it turned it more into four, maybe a bit more. But to me, it seemed like the opportunity to uh, you know do what I was trained for, and uh, that made me choose uh, to go to Iraq. Um, I think you could just say what your preference was, but I, I don't think uh, we actually had the final say. But um, yeah, that's why I uh, chose to go there in uh, uh, S sphere. Uh, from the top of my head. Do you think that was the right decision on your part? I mean, obviously you weren't really able, you weren't you know, sure you were able to um, choose. Well, I think it was the right decision. Uh, it was an incredibly interesting experience and we uh, were spared most of the uh, pink mist and stuff. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, uh, the whole, uh, I'm not gonna dive into politics, but you know, you kind of get disillusioned once you get back and, and have like a broader picture. Um, but overall, it's been a very interesting experience, you know, uh, uh, on, on not so busy times, we were able to visit uh, some, some uh, pretty significant ruins in uh, uh, Samawa, uh, Ur, uh, it's called, or Uruk, uh, where basically the cradle of Western civilization. Um, so that was uh, very, very interesting. You, you know, you walk around there kind of feeling like you're Indiana Jones, you have the freedom to explore and et cetera, yeah. see all those... Uh, 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 I'm not sure what it's called. Uh, a, a very strange alphabet where everything is basically like triangles uh, which are stacked and rotated all over bricks everywhere. Uh, you kind of feel uh, like uh, right. an uh, amateur archaeologist there. <laughs> um, but also, huh. also it, it's a very interesting experience. You know, you get to know yourself uh, uh, pretty well. You get to know your colleagues pretty well and uh, the world as well. And um, there were some, some uh, funny anecdotes there as well. Um, you know, sometimes if we would have shifts of 12 hours uh, on duty, 12 hours off duty, um, when uh, you know things weren't uh, as busy, um, we would have some off time on the base. And uh, we were on uh, first in our Dutch compound, and then uh, after uh, it turned out that the wiring was done improperly, so there was fire hazard. We uh, moved to a uh, to the American compound, but in the Dutch quarter. Um, and um, you know those you guys the Americans you have everything on there you have like a PX which is basically a huge supermarket uh, with everything you can imagine you could buy Xboxes there mountain bikes and whatnot which was uh, <laughs> a very uh, uh, strange experience for me an American yeah, luxury yeah but yeah but you guys <laughs> spent uh, a year or more there so uh, it kind of makes sense from that perspective um, so uh, yeah. you know First thing in Iraq was uh, we, we all shaved our heads uh, because it was so hot. Uh, the hottest we measured 
was I think 58 degrees centigrade, which is uh, uh, hot oh. <laughs> at zero humidity. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but at some point, you know, my hair grew back, and uh, we were invited to do bingo with the Americans. Um, so I thought, well, might as well uh, try and look like a human being. So uh, I got I got some shorts. I didn't have uh, civilian clothing, so I bought some at the PX. And since I had hair, I need to put something in there uh, to, you know, look normal. So I went into uh, the PX and saw uh, a jar of, uh, um, I think it was hair pomade or something. And uh, there was a guy on there smiling, African-American guy. And uh, I thought, yeah, this is uh, probably the right thing. Um, and I needed some toothpaste, so I saw something called cookie dent. And I was like, okay, that's probably toothpaste. So I went uh, to the... Uh, to the uh, shower part on the base and um, you know got in front of the mirror uh, took a, a dollop of the uh, the uh, hair stuff and my head was was like black uh, apparently that was for uh, people with dark hair getting gray hair so <laughs> I had no idea so I had to shower again <laughs> then uh, uh, it was almost time to go and we knew they had ice cream so we all desperately wanted to go there you know in the middle of the desert ice cream is you know you want that <laughs> so um yeah uh i put some of the cookie dance stuff on my toothbrush put it in my mouth and i i had a hard time moving my toothbrush out of my mouth apparently that was for putting in uh, keeping your false teeth in <laughs> and, and, and then it hit me you know uh, the guy the the lady at the uh, uh cash register was looking at me like really strangely <laughs> so uh it was uh, it was so so odd um, but one thing I'll never forget, and um, uh, that's actually something I cherish, was uh, Halo 2 got released the day before it would be released worldwide uh, in, in Iraq on the American base. Oh, yeah. wow. I think uh, um, Bungie, the, the guys who, who made Halo, uh, had some, some connections or something. I don't know how they did it, but Halo 2 got out the day before uh, it did there. At least that's how I remember it. Maybe it was the same day. Um, but I, I remember going into the hotspot, which was the, uh, you know, uh, the recreation area on the uh, American base, and uh, they had like recliners and and big, uh, CR, uh, big uh, cathode ray te televisions, like not the flat screens, but those, uh, the, the, the 80s ones, ones yeah, 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 the fat ones, yeah. and yeah. Um, you know, we would watch movies there sometimes. But I saw some guys playing Halo 2, and I was blown away, like particles, vehicles, and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, I was born. I was born 1999. Yeah. So when that game came four out, or I was, five. I was probably yeah. four or five. Yeah, game. Oh yeah, I was probably five years old. I was actually November 9, 2004. So I would have been yeah. four you years old. You probably see yeah. that game as looking yeah. <laughs> or five years old. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was blown that's away. Funny. He, I was five, and you were, and you were. Yeah, yeah I was uh, 21 <laughs> by then. Actually, uh, th yeah, I think I celebrated my birthday in there as well. Well, not celebrated, but. My birthday happened in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. And um, one, one uh, other interesting anecdote. It's, it's, it's irrelevant to eighties, uh, but it has some uh, relevance to military life. Um, we were a security force, so so we were sometimes on quick respond tasks or um, stuff like that, uh, like a QRF. Um, but we had a, a belt on our arm that says SF, uh, meaning security force. Um, the Italians read that as special forces. 
So we could <laughs> we could go in uh, at the officers' uh, uh, restaurant uh, for the Italian Air Force, uh, and they had like the best best food uh, in Iraq probably, but also uh, top grade Italian food. So we would like have half a rabbit or, or fresh fresh fish. No idea how they get it fresh. Uh, and um, uh, what's it called? Um, artichokes and everything so that was a great time and, and pe they were all looking at us quite like hmm because we we did look like special forces well not uh, like the stereotypical guys i think actual special forces look just like us uh, but maybe a bit more determined <laughs> um so that was uh, that was nice uh, of, of us to let them uh, sorry of them to let us eat there but they also had like these cans of tuna paste and um they, they called it spoonty or something. So we were always like, we like it, it's spoonty. And we, we took that to the hotspot <laughs> and watched movies while eating crackers uh, with spoonty. And um, I also remember getting introduced to things I've never eaten before at the, at the American restaurant, like uh, crab, crab legs. Oh, those are awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, best, best thing uh, I've yeah. ever had, I suppose. And um, V8 juice. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a Bloody Mary, <laughs> but uh, without alcohol. And um, what else? Good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would usually stuff our pockets. You know, the the, the people. Uh, well, there weren't really cash registers, but you would have to kind of check out and, and put your name on a list so they could be our government. Um, but I would fill my pockets with jelly bellies. <laughs> like like if I was walking around, you would hear all the plastic go because my pockets if they were like jammed. <laughs> I would have I would be packing like a kilogram of jelly bellies. <laughs> awesome. Oh, and sometimes people would send uh, candy uh, our way from Holland. Um, and the interesting thing about candy in the desert is it if you have like a, a, a bag of gummy bears or something, it becomes like a, a gummy mass <laughs> where you can just take a bite out of it. Yeah, it, it melts, melts. And, it, and it turns into a solid block. Yeah, yeah just as tasty though, but yeah. um, it, it looks like, you know, Unicorn vomit or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love I love talking to veterans no matter what time they served. It's just it's just great to hear these stories, you know? It's one thing to talk about gear and stuff, but it's kinda cool to hear about just kind of like yeah, the experiences, yeah. you know? Definitely enjoyed it. It's great. That's great. We should talk you should be on the podcast again. Yeah, sometime. I wouldn't mind it. Was it. Awesome. it was yeah, fun. It was fun. Absolutely. I was like listening to you guys as well. We just like to give a big thanks for Anton Coker our SFX artist for editing this podcast. You can find him in the Discord at Sucko. Um, he edits all the audio for the game, so if you have any questions about any audio or SFX-related topics, shoot him a message, and he will get back to you as soon as he can. We're looking for a few good men to be all they can be, and aim high, because it's not just a job, it's an adventure. So we are looking for uh, programmers in C++ and uh, ideally uh, uh, experience with Unreal Engine. Um, feel free to apply and if you know someone who you uh, can recommend to us, please do. Uh, we can use all the help uh, we can get. And we're also looking for uh, character artists who uh, um, ideally have experience with Marvelous Designer. Um, but it's not a pre. If you're good with ZBrush, uh, then you are uh, welcome to try out as well. This has been the Escalation 1985 Podcast. We are a small indie team trying to make the Cold War hot, but we need your help. Please support us by going on patreon.com slash escalation1985 and throw a dollar at us. 
you'll get access to the private Discord channel with us devs at the lowest tier. Higher tiers can get posters, shirts, and medals from beyond the Iron Curtain, as well as be the first to see the game once we are ready to test it. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Next time, we'll talk about how to stay warm in the Cold War, so be sure to get some leg warmers. Thank you.